I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians is found in the New Testament after Romans, Acts, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So be turning there to 1 Corinthians 10. And we're going to take a look at verse 31 of that passage. As you turn there, let me, uh, now that we're finally, let's see, three weeks late getting started on our uh, sermon series about our updated and refined mission statement, I'm going to finally say some things I intended to say about two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Uh, Of course, I've been out of the swing here with my health struggles for a couple of weeks. But we, as you probably know, have been going through a process, really as a whole church, over the last uh, four or five months. We've had several combined adult Sunday school times to talk about who we are as a church, who God's called us to be, who our community around us is, and how we can uh, best reach them for God's glory. And so some of what we've been working on as well, our church leaders, our our elders and deacons, our staff have also met for four or five extended uh, meetings to talk about these matters. And and so as you've seen on some of the materials we've put out and even in the worship guide today, we've we've come to a place of saying, hey, as as a church, our mission, our commitment is really glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace. That's really a one sentence summary statement. And uh, I brought this frame up here because it's, a, I think, a helpful way to kind of think about these issues of mission, uh, vision, core values, and so forth. So let me, let me chat about this for just a minute. If you think about the top of the picture frame being that mission statement, which is kind of new to us, the words glory and grace aren't new to us. We've talked about that for the last four years. But this idea that we express it as glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace. That's a little bit of a new phrase for us, but you can kind of put that on top of this picture frame. That's a a mission for us as a church. Really, this side of the frame is our strategy, and our strategy is what we've talked about the last four years, growing in truth, living in community, and serving in God's kingdom. Those are things that we do, ways that we fulfill our mission as a church. So that's not going to be too different for us. And then over here, this other side of the picture frame is what I'm really looking forward to talking about beginning September 8th, and that is what are the core values that we have? And we've identified six or seven of those. Y'all helped us highlight some of those in our Sunday school discussion times earlier this summer. Uh, Who is it that's really the backbone of, uh, what what is the real backbone values of who we are as a church? So we're going to begin looking at those for uh, six or seven weeks beginning September 8th. And then the, the bottom part of the picture frame, I guess you would say, is uh, some way of looking at how those goals are fulfilled. Uh, call it measurements, call it indicators, call it goals, whatever you feel comfortable with. But what does it look like in our lives individually? What does it look like for us collectively as a church to have this picture actually begin to take shape? And, of course, the idea is that what's in the middle of that is who we are as a church, a picture of who God is making us to be as a church. And that's really unique to who we are, to where God's placed us, to how he's gifted us, to what he's called us to do in this community and around the world. So we'll, we'll, I'm going to find a lighter picture frame, but we're going to bring a picture frame up here from time to time and, and help us remind ourselves of that. Uh, that's where we're headed today, really, is to just begin to talk about the top of that frame, glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace. And so now, as I said, two weeks later than perhaps we planned, 
getting to talk about glorifying God. Next week, we'll talk about inviting all into God's grace. So as you have turned to 1 Corinthians, I'll let you remain seated uh, today. It's a short little passage, but uh, we recognize the truth and power of God's word as I read it aloud and you read along silently. Just 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be our teacher during this time, as you have been so faithful to do over the four years since our church began and that we've been meeting here in this place. And we ask that just as you have been faithful in the past to take your word, apply it into our lives, press it into places that are both comfortable and uncomfortable for us, we ask that you would continue to do that today, this morning, uh, as we talk about this matter of glorifying you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my early high school years, when I was still living in the Chicago area, my sister came back one day, my younger sister, Sarah, from going on a shopping trip that she had taken to a mall that was a little bit closer in towards the city. And, you know, my parents, I guess, were doing the parental debriefing just to hear a little bit about what had, had happened and confirm what had taken place on this mall trip that she had taken with her friends. And she began to summarize which stores she went to and dresses she tried on and the place she stopped for lunch. And I started to tune out, and then all of a sudden she said, oh, yeah, and when we were at lunch, I was sitting right next to that, you know, that one football player from the Bears. Immediately, I was intrigued by the girls' shopping trip to the mall information and honed in on it. I said, well, which player are you talking about? She said, you know, the one who runs the ball. You know, he gets the ball and runs the ball. I said, Walter Payton? You were sitting next to Walter Payton? She said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one. I was sitting right next to him. And I asked what seemed to be the obvious next question, what did you get autographed from him? She smiled and, you know, sort of looked a little dumbfounded and said, well, you know, I didn't really want to bother him and I didn't really have anything for him to sign. I said, Sarah, you were at a mall. Go buy a Chicago Bears jersey. You could get one with his number on and have him sign that or rip the pizza box apart from the lunch place or have him sign whatever shirt you're wearing. I don't care. Sign something. Please get the signature you were sitting next to who was arguably, now recently retired I think at that time, the greatest running back in NFL history a glorious place to be right next to that kind of athletic glory. She didn't walk away with anything from it. Well, of course, we all know like some other athletes and famous folks of various sorts that Peyton's personal life record has been tarnished a bit, but his sports record remains. And, and we all know that uh, some of us see glory in some places, maybe the arts or maybe particular business achievements or maybe a hobby, and others of us maybe see glory in 
athletics. But it was interesting to sit there and be talking to my sister and feel like she had missed an opportunity to enter into the glory of who this athlete Walter Payton was. We think about the Lord and His glory. We're reminded today that His glory is universal. It's not limited by time or place or opinion or perspective about whether His glory is truly glorious or not. Whether we should be impressed by it. It's true in all times, in all places, for all people. It's true for high school girls going to a mall. It's true for little ones playing with Legos at the house. It's true for folks out in the workplace during the week. It's true for moms and dads doing their parenting thing. It's true for empty nesters. It's true for those at the retirement home. God's glory is a universal reality. And it's something that we have an opportunity to understand and apprehend through God's Word. To recognize what that glory is and to actually be close to it because His glory is present with us. Whether we sense it, whether we recognize it or not, His glory is at work in our lives and in our world. And so you can find in the back of your worship guide, if it's helpful to you, a little guide for our sermon time today. But I just jotted down this real main idea for us to take from our 1 Corinthians passage and several other scriptures we'll look at here briefly today. That since God is glorious, we should glorify Him through Christ. Since God is glorious, we should glorify Him through Christ. As I said, it it may be that we don't recognize that glory or we don't recognize how close we are to that, that glory and that we can enter into it like my sister who missed that opportunity right nearby her. We might miss it that way. We might even take it a step further if we're honest. We not only miss getting an autograph from the Lord for His glory, we often would prefer that the autograph line be directed to us and our glory that we perceive ourselves to have. So it's a humbling and also an uplifting thing to think about God's glory, to meditate on. And that's what I want us to just do for a little while today. It's such a huge theme, huge topic that we can't possibly digest it all. But let's start to see what we're talking about in glorifying God and recognizing His glory. The first thing is maybe a definition that, that I hope will be a little helpful for us. And that is this idea of the majestic weightiness of God. If you think about glory, it kind of carries those two components, doesn't it? There's always something uh, uplifted, elevated, up high about something that we describe as glorious. It's majestic in that way. But it's interesting, too, something that's glorious also has great weight to it. it it's significant. It's substantive. And so when we think about God and His glory... And then begin to think about how we can reflect that glory. We call it glorifying God in our lives. I think it helps us to think about the majestic weightiness of who God is. 
It's fascinating. Uh, God's really hardwired the whole thing into our world. If you want to, uh, you know, flip with me to these different passages today, that's fine. You're, you're welcome also to just listen along. But we're going to jump to, to several different passages. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. What's that telling us? We look around and we see creation, the things that God has made, the hills, the trees, the mountains, even the human body and how it's constructed or little things in a microscope or whatever you want to look at. And believe it or not, we're seeing glory. We're seeing an imprint, a fingerprint of God and who He is. Psalm 19.1 declares that. But what's the problem? The problem is just like I described a minute ago. It's around us. It's there for us to see. But we don't really apprehend it. We don't enter into it. We don't often live our lives for that purpose of God's glory. So we've got glory and we've got sin. It's interesting. One of the probably most oft-quoted verses about our fallen condition talks about this, doesn't it? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just that we transgress certain moral commands that is our sinful condition, but it's also wrapped up in the fact that we just don't uh, attain to and pursue and seek the glory that God would have for us. It's interesting, it goes even beyond that. Isaiah 48, verse 11, the Lord Himself says this, I will not give my glory to another. It's not just that we fall short of glory, but he's warning us there that we've got a problem. We like to, as I said, get that autograph line coming towards us. We're glory thieves. We want to get it accumulated for us rather than directing it to God where it goes. Not to mention that, the glory that we do have, that we get wrapped up in, it's all temporary. Think about Isaiah 40. Again, it's interesting. There's so many familiar passages that talk about this. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8 tells us that all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Flowers of the field are beautiful, aren't they? They're nice looking. What's the rest of the passage say? The grass withers. The flower fades. But not the Word of God. Not the things of God. They last forever. His glory is sustained Whatever glory we might have is fleeting. It's passing. Romans chapter 1 takes it one step further and reminds us that we not only tend to be glory thieves, we not only forget that glory that we have is passing and temporary, but we also latch on to false sources of glory. Certainly athletic glory is not, uh, you know, not a minor one for many of us here to grab hold of in our culture, but Romans states it real generally in verse, really beginning in verse 22 of Romans 1, talks about our fallen condition. It says that we claiming to be wise, so we think we're smart, became fools. How do we do that? Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. One of the key things, ways that we get this glory thing out of whack 
is we ascribe so much glory to the things of this life, the things around us, that we begin to worship them instead of our Creator God. So glory and sin are mixed up. What do we do about this? How do we... What hope is there for us then that we can't get this glory thing figured out? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us a lot about it. Hebrews is all the way at the back of the New Testament. Before 1 Peter, before Revelation, James, and so forth, it describes Christ and the magnitude and majesty of Christ. And this is so important for us to hear today. Beginning in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1. Describing Jesus, it says He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And oh, by the way, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What's that passage tell us? Two really important things. One is that Jesus reflects and displays God's glory in a perfect way. So if we're looking at Jesus, we're beginning to see and apprehend some of that glory of God. But it also tells us this. Out of His glorious nature, He makes purifications for sins. That's part of what is glorifying and glorious about Him is that He cares enough to take action on our behalf for those of us that do fall short of God's glory and to be the righteous substitute, to be the one who stands in our place before the wrath of God. So His very person is glorious. Not just that. I know it's not Christmas time, but Luke chapter 2, you might be familiar with these verses as well. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the uh, shepherds heard a message when Jesus was coming. What was that message about? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Jesus works in our lives. Peace comes. And through Him comes glory. It's not only at His first coming, it's at His second coming. Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus is going to come back and it says in verse 31 of Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with them, then He will sit on His glorious throne. We could go on and on and talk about Acts when Stephen was being killed for his faith and he looked up and saw Jesus in His glory. All over the Scriptures, mentioning every verse practically talking about Christ, we hear about His glory and we hear about the beautiful reality that He wants to share that glory with us through redeeming us, through saving us, and through rescuing us that we receive through faith in Him. Well, what's this mean then for you and me? How does this actually play out? So we've seen we're not so good with this glory thing, but thankfully Jesus has got it figured out and He can help us to get it figured out and get our ship righted. So what does it look like then for God's glory to be demonstrated through us? couple of things. Psalm 8, uh, verse 5, uh, reminds us of God's glory and the glory that we have. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him 
a little lower than the heavenly beings. You want to know why we have a temptation to be glory thieves, try to get glory for ourselves, or to make idols out of other things and people in this world and try to put glory into them? Because there is a mark of glory upon us. There's something about who we are as people that God has put His image upon us that makes us especially blessed. And so, young people, maybe we've got some high schoolers, college folks in here, when you get sort of enamored with that relationship, get interested in that other person, maybe a romantic dating relationship, or even any of us in maybe just a friendship and you really value invest a lot into that and you sort of elevate it up to a pedestal think surely this is going to make me happy this is going to fulfill me why do we do that we're prone to do that because there is something glorious about who we are as those who bear god's image it's fallen it's tainted but that mark is still there and that's what tends to draw us in to putting that glory in the wrong direction instead of to god Romans 8, verse 18, talks about the glory that we have being redeemed, being saved. And it talks about it related to suffering and struggles, too. Romans 8, 18 says, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. He says, don't even waste time putting them in some sort of ledger or chart. So they're not even worth setting them down next to it with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Isn't that unbelievable? This is amazing that the glory that we'll one day enjoy, so we're marked by it now, but it's flawed, it's skewed, it's covered over by our sin. Because of Jesus' redeeming work, the glory that we're going to enjoy one day is so great that it's not even worth Comparing with the struggles, the difficulties we have. That's not, Paul's not making light of our struggles and difficulties. He's just saying it's just a, a comparison. It's amazing to behold how much glory we're going to enjoy. So that's part of how we can see glory in us is just through the redeeming work. This is going to hit home real directly, First Peter, for our purposes today because we've been talking about the opportunity for Folks, in just a few minutes, to come up and put some uh, cards on this table, including maybe some areas that folks would be willing to serve. Maybe you've already been serving there and you're just recommitting. Maybe it's some new area. But First Peter, interesting, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says, as each has received a gift, he's talking about spiritual gifts and abilities, use it in service to one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Well, okay, a pragmatic thing. You've got to have some people do different things around the church and uh, as part of ministry and missions and fulfilling the kingdom of God. Yeah, I get the idea. People got to volunteer. It's just, you know, okay, volunteerism, I get it. A lot more here. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Listen to this. Is this just perfunctory? Is this just getting things done? Pragmatics that we've got to... Got to have some hands, uh, have some people roll up sleeves and get some tasks done? No. It says, in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. That's one of those little benediction things, you know, that we say at the end of the worship service. 
Peter was so excited about the fact that through our gifts and ability, we can bring glory to God by serving in His kingdom in various ways, that he paused and did a little praise. Let's, let's hold up here. There's another, if you're looking at it in your Bible, there's another chapter and a half left. But he stops and says, To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So being part of the body of Christ, fruit in our lives, fruit from our lives, I guess we should say. Matthew five sixteen. Okay, so we're, again, we're flawed on this glory thing, but thankfully we've got this Savior that comes in and writes the ship for us and allows us to then be able to live our lives in a way that displays some of God's glory. What's part of the fruit of that? Matthew 5 says that other people, do you, you ever think about this? Other people are going to see our good lives, see the lives that are marked by the transforming work of Jesus, and they're going to glorify our Father in heaven. As we live out the life of Christ, other people will be able to experience glory. So we get to share that glory, if you will, not just here locally, but all over the world. Let's close with this. Psalm 96 tells us this, referring to this glory issue again. It says in verse 3 of Psalm 96, Declare God's glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. Not only are we going to get the privilege of somehow through Christ working through us to share and reflect glory to others around us so that they're going to begin to begin to glorify God, but we have the opportunity to see that happen among the nations. And folks, I just want to mention this again. I'm so thankful for folks praying and praying for this transition, praying over the last four years for our school. And I was up at my boys' school this week. And I am telling you, I looked around in just a, the, as the parents' meetings were going on and we were walking between classes. The nations are right here around us. And I'm not saying I know how to connect with all those folks that maybe have no Christian framework or no even sort of Western framework to begin with. But let's be praying for God to do something there because His glory is going forth, not just through... I'm so thankful the missionaries were able to support and, and, and fund and pray for halfway around the world, but it's, it's going on right here in our backyard as well. What a blessing that we can see God's glory begin to understand some of what it means for us to glorify Him and that all of that we can do only through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise You. We thank You that You are a glorious One. You're majestic in who You are and You're weighty in the substance of Your character, Your being, and Lord, we ask that You'd open our eyes to see more of that through the work of Christ and His transforming of us. And Lord, we lay hold of Jesus afresh today by faith. Thank You that though we're fallen, though we turn away from You, we have a righteous One that we can put our trust in, we can locate our faith in, and He brings us in to Your glory in this life and as Paul says, to a glory that's not even worth being compared with the things of this life in the next. And we praise you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.